Go. Check. Go. Go away. Go away. <laughs> We're coming for you. Happy Halloween, everybody. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Go away. We're coming for you. you really say that if you were i'm a i'm a compassionate empathetic ghost <laughs> oh you're a ghost is that what it was? <laughs> i'm trying to save you from me go before oh. i get to you that's right everybody welcome back to your favorite time of the year the great dive podcast halloween spectacular <laughs> it's another spectacular so put on your Halloween masks and enjoy us for some fun. You know, before we have um, too much fun, though, you know, I do want to say that you know we got a message. Shout out to Claire Mack, who uh, you know gave us that little uh, message about the uh, Russian military divers over in Lake Baikal, Brando. I like the way you say Baikal. You've been practicing. Bacal. Bacal. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was intrigued. I liked it. I like to hear stuff like this. It, it's a pretty interesting story. Yeah. Uh, I've really done what I feel is a lot of research. I, I can't find anything. You mean you Googled saying, it? You Googled it twice? You just rearranged the words, maybe? Three times. <laughs> three times. I also did a Bing search. <laughs> You really did. I got creative go and did a big on the research one time. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, it keeps saying that the Russian Navy's declassify these documents, but I, I can't find where these. If you anybody can find these declassified documents, let me know. But you know, I don't know if the Russian, you know, government has the same like Library of Congress accessible stuff as we do. I mean, just because it's declassified. But they're like, yeah, decla- we have declassified this. But go ahead. Saying that the KGB, try to read it. Try to read it. trying we to tell you. me the KGB <laughs> is not fully transparent? Oh, what I'm saying is that Wait, I don't Are you saying I the KGB is they, not uh, as transparent as the so-called Lake Bacal swimmers? I don't think they just put everything on the extraterrestrial origin? <laughs> yes. They're not as transparent as the Lake Bacal swimmers of extraterrestrial origin. But apparently the story goes, you know, the, the the crew of Navy divers were in about 150 feet when they came across these swimmers, swimmers. Yeah. of unidentified submerged objects, these USOs, which apparently a, a very large portion of UFO encounters happen in and around the water. So they, they've come up with a whole new subcategory of USOs. USOs has been around for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they didn't just come up with it, but yeah. They're not going to call them, uh, you know, for the for the UFOs, they call them AUPs now. Or UAPs, I'm sorry. Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. So I think they probably they, uh, changed uh, They the could never point. do that about the... Underwater version because they've be already you, given you. that title to you years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
unidentified <laughs> underwater phenomenon. They, 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 we've been I, calling I know that for, for years. I'm a phenomenon. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, apparently these uh, these navy divers got sonar wave shot directly to the surface from 150 feet and all suffered the bends. Yeah, several died. Didn't didn't only like two live? Yeah, yeah, because they only had on like the a story to their grand. Yeah, they only had like a single person chamber, and they tried to yeah. cram like a couple yeah, guys into they it. Had to, uh, you know, so I, I, make a choice. I mean, like you hear that the, that story like all over the place, but there's not like a really good long story or personal account I, that I've been looking for to really dig into this. It's on the dark web, a, man. It's on the dark web. It's I not. It's not on the Google web. web. How? Like I say, I know when you say I've been researching this and researching this. The first researching was a Google search, and you're like, oh, I just got these couple. Then the second researching was. A second Google search, but you just rearranged the words, hoping it would it would hit the right uh, keywords. Is that, well, am clearly, I am I correct? You clearly, can go on the dark web. Clearly, you've been on the dark web because <laughs> I live you, on the you dark have web. all of my searches. Like exactly. <laughs> <laughs> how, did you, how did you find these if not on the dark web? You should have just looked up the story for us. <laughs> I didn't know. I thought automatically you went to the dark web. No, the darkest I got was Reddit. <laughs> That's pretty dark. No, <laughs> no, I'm. I was the same thing because when I uh, I read the email from our listener, I uh, looked it up to try to find any verification of it, and there's very little info, really. A couple of, you know, stories, people telling a story, but but from yeah, what I gathered was the same thing. Yeah, they all shot up from 150. And weren't the weren't the guys like uh, are these these swimmers? Weren't they like nine feet long or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tall, whatever, tall. But they had like helmets on. Right, right. The silvery, silvery suits. Yeah. Swimming with like jellyfish heads. There's Sounds pictures like of a... them. It's, a, it's like a computer generated photo of of these USO yeah. swimmers. Yeah, you know, there's like. Six of them, and then there's a couple of divers you can tell are like photoshopped in yellow single tanks, you know, swimming around them. Yeah. Uh, are you sure they weren't having, you know, like a pizza with some special mushrooms on it or something? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> like, there's a lot of, I, I'm very skeptical of the whole story. Because that's what it sounds like. I mean, it sounds like a good little mushroom trip. We're diving, man. It sounds to me like, like the, get a, a bunch of uh, you know bored Russian fucking bored you know, Russians. guys like stuck out in the middle Lake of Siberia Macau. drinking bottles of vodka to stay warm all day long. <laughs> you just throw, you, you stereotype the entire school. Russian people right there. <laughs> I, I said to stay warm, and I didn't because they were Russian. I'm just saying. Oh, what else are you gonna do? You stuck vodka. out in the middle of Siberia. I mean, it's the it's the vodka. So you've got you know what was that uh, that comedy movie with Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase? Spies like spies us. spies like us. Thank you. So that's what you've got in, pictured in your mind. Exactly. They're sitting out in the middle of nowhere. They got some you, missiles. Right, right. But, but these guys are out in the hot these guys are out in the you know Lake Baikal. Like, right. We got scuba gear. <laughs> but it, spies like us, they had the hot the hot two hot chicks anyway. Yes, they did. Donna Dixon and uh, who Dan Aykroyd ended up uh, marrying, right? There you go. There's a little trivia. There's a little trivia. (laughs) 
It has nothing to do with the Lake Bacal swimmers, but but if you saw that movie, you know what's pictured in James' head right now. You know, something that does have to do with the Lake Bacal swimmers is the fact that, you know, we're giving this little story around Halloween time mm-hmm. and the fact that we are brought to you, everybody, today <laughs> once again by Manscaped, who has taken a step up from Balloween to bring... <laughs> To bring your face the cleanest shave that it's ever seen. Do we just throw balls like any? Is it going to be like balls giving <laughs> coming up here? <laughs> we Listen, I don't know about that, balls. but this season, there's no need to toil and trouble, everybody. So when you got those uh, trick-or-treaters coming to the house this year, Brando, don't forget that you can give them the sweetest treat this Halloween just by sending them over to manscaped.com. Don't forget to tell them little kitties to use the code TGDP for 20% off and some free shipping. We're having a little bit of a, a pedo vibe going here, sending little kitties to their balls. That's quite pedo. If you were in a white van... I'd be a little worried, Jamesy. How'd you know my Halloween costume this year? I've got candy and a lawnmower 4.0 for you, kiddies. Listen, they're not all kids. A lot of those late teens and early 20-year-olds coming up to the door dressed in that ghost costume. Oh, You yeah. can remind them, hey, listen, I know you're not a kid anymore. You shouldn't be getting candy. You should be getting the Beard Hedger. It's a high-tech piece of art in a travel-sized package with a long-lasting battery, kid. Yeah. You know, my thought on that is if they dress up, I give them candy. But if they really dress up, you don't put a, you know, a soccer shirt on right. and say you're a soccer player. Coming up to the door, I'm right. a teenager. Give me yeah. some candy. Yeah, no, you're an asshole, too. <laughs> <laughs> you're a bunch of things. Get out of here. <laughs> well, listen, everybody, there's no trick with this treat this year. Manscapes. Definitely got you covered. So get over there, get 20% off for free shipping with the code TGDP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping at Manscaped. Use the code TGDP for a look as sweet as candy. <laughs> smooth Go as. Go get yourself some Manscaped. Your balls will be smoother than the candy corn. Brando, that story about the, uh, you know, the Lake Bacall got me to remember it. A time out on the Baltic when, when I was an oceanographer. Oh, I... That short little yeah. stint I had as an oceanographer. Remember that? It was a that? good time. It was a good time. You know... Your varied background. Well, ever since my family started bringing me to the beach when I was young, I was fascinated by the sea. But fascination turned to something else when I was hired to work in an underwater sea lab in the Baltic. In the Baltic? I remember it was weird Remember that you- I was- you were expecting to be in a sea lab here. I was. But you're like, I'm going to the Baltic. Yeah, I, I recently graduated with a degree, an online degree in marine biology. Was looking to start my career. Yes. Needed work, man. What was <laughs> I to do? I was thinking the Florida Keys, but the Baltic Sea came up. I'd always thought that the only underwater research lab was there in the coast of Florida, you know, the Aquarius Reef Base, but. Here I was, started an application to work on another sea lab across the world. I chalked my lack of knowledge up to my own incompetence. And I just knuckled down and applied for the job. Did you get it? Well, obviously you got it, because we're going to talk about it. it. I got it. I wasn't long. 
for before I got that reply, a sophisticated man with a German accent spoke with me about my education and all the other regular things that you would hear in a job interview, you know, like job interview questions. Like what? <laughs> Is that, it sounds like uh, the story's about to get a little weird. Jamesy. <laughs> Jamesy, you are here for this job, this is C-Lab, you say. Yes, yes, I am. We have the questions for you. Are you ready for the questions? Uh, yeah, what, what's the first question on this job interview? What kind of tree would you be if you were ever a tree? <laughs> I, I, um... Say you be an oak, say you be a cherry tree. You tell me, you tell me. A, a vodka tree? You like the vodka. Can I be a sea fan? <laughs> a sea fan tree, Interesting, very interesting. Another question, Jamesy. <laughs> Where were you the last time you felt like a sea fan? You know, by the end of the conversation, things started to get a little weird. Do you like movies about gladiators? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> <laughs> no, he he said he said, "Are you in any way afraid of any sea life, like sharks, for example?" Is what sharks the interviewer in the Baltic? Yes. His name was Bertram. Was the interviewer? I see, I see. Well, Bertram, that's as German as they get. I, I told him I, uh, I've watched a few gladiator films in my day, and I do have a healthy fear of ocean predators also, by the way. But I don't mind swimming with them. They mostly aren't interested in humans. You know, I learned that you know, from my oceanography online course through Oceanographers <laughs> <laughs> International. Certification International. OCIU. <laughs> Institute. <laughs> of online oceaneering graphy. <laughs> Bertram says to me, he says, Good to hear. I completely agree. The job will involve some diving in some deeper waters. And this can make some people uneasy. Are you uneasy right now, James? <laughs> no, Bertram. But you know what, Brando? To my surprise, I was hired. To my I, surprise, you were hired. Right. Like I, I thought you know, that last question was going to do me in. I boarded a plane and ended up in Rostock, a medium-sized German port city. I made my way over to the port itself where I was to meet with the team and start traveling to my new home under the sea. Now, along the way, I was reading documents that they had sent over to familiarize myself with the underwater environment over there in the Baltic. I had noticed, however, that there were no bathrooms. And this seemed a little strange. You know, I assumed I'd probably just go in the ocean. Uh, I had been peeing in the ocean, you know, since I was a kid, but I'd never gone number two in the ocean, you know what I mean? Yeah, so I laughed at myself as I thought of how silly it was that I was dwelling on such a triviality here, you know, just on my way to my oceanography career and no bathrooms that is odd 
in an underwater sea lab. I don't know if it's a triviality. I mean, you gotta. I, that would be a, an eyebrow razor for me. You know, like wait a minute. You know what my gramps always used to say? Something I'll never forget. Something I'll never forget. He said, <laughs> "Never." Wait. No wait. wait, wait, no, no. He said, <laughs> "Always." No, 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 no. He said, <laughs> "If you gotta forget. go, you gotta go." That's true. That's true. But I would figure they'd have facilities. But apparently, what did they have you do? Well, when I arrived on the dock, there was Bertram. I recognized him from the video conference call that we'd had before. He was a little taller than I'd figured. And next to him stood another tall, skinny man. Ah, speak of the devil, Bertram said as I approached. His accent you know, made me chuckle to myself, but his grammar and diction were very good nonetheless. I would like you to meet Derek, our colleague. Derek also seemed very polite. His English was excellent. We have a team of French, German, and English speakers. We mostly speak English, but you will have to forgive us if you occasionally we start ranting in our native tongues together, said Bertram. At that, Derek mumbled something in German, and they both laughed. Gesundheit. We we hitched a ride to another vessel out towards the east. Uh, About an hour, I saw a little ship. That's the Hoffnung said Bertrand. Our Gesundheit. humble little ship. Hafnan. <laughs> Gesundheit. The ship was small and rusty and looked like it had seen better days. Something seemed off. The facility underwater was much too advanced to be paired with such a beat-up looking ship. We geared up for the dive. As far as depth's concerned, Brando, you know, the Baltic is pretty shallow. It's only, you know, it's not even 500 meters deep. Oh, well, that's nothing. It sounds but, shallow. But it's got, a, it's got an average depth of about 180 feet. Yeah. It's a couple of deep spots. With the, was nothing this like information in your documents you were reading? Yeah, yeah. Nice. I was surprised that we would be diving down to a depth of 65 meters. The deepest I'd ever been at this time was only 30. And... Going 65 didn't help my growing anxiety. Don't worry. Don't worry. This is a one-way trip, so it isn't very dangerous. <laughs> you don't have to worry about the bends. See, bends That's, ex- that's not exactly seen. what he said to me, yes. See, bends you not worry about. We will do the worrying about. <laughs> I remembered how cool it was that the underwater facility used ambient pressure and a moon pool. The entire facility was pressurized. It was still too deep for humans to live at the pressure between seven and eight atmospheres. Though humans can freedive quite deep, they cannot live in such crushing pressures for extended periods of time. Three atmospheres was what the facility was pressurized to. Still, the time saved not having to go back and forth between sea level and seven atmospheres made this facility useful for studying the seabed. We have all heard of how we know less about our oceans and outer space. This was what fascinated me so much about the sea. That's why I contacted OCI Institute. In the beginning of this whole fiasco, 
Did you read about them in the back of Skin Diver magazine or something? I had an old copy, yeah. <laughs> the big ads they took out. Your future is now. Become a marine biologist, they said. And then they got me the extra subscription for the oceanographer. <laughs> exactly. That's the hook, baby. Well, the beginning of our descent was uneventful, as you'd expect probably, right? Things started to become darker as less light was able to penetrate the depths. When we reached 40 meters, I felt like I was entering another world. It was surreal. I had never been this deep before, and I remembered my diving instructor mentioning how dangerous it was. People were said to fall into a trance. As we continued to descend into the misty depths, a building appeared. It was taller than I had expected, spanning at least three stories upward. Certainly, this was not the facility that I had read about. Soon enough, however, I saw the moon pool. It was a peculiar thing to emerge from the ocean into an indoor swimming pool. We had all treaded water for about a minute or so. Bertram and Derek turned to me and smiled. I couldn't help but smile back. It was just so badass. I felt like I was in some kind of you know, like sci-fi movie. The room, we were pressurized higher than the rest of the facility, and we made our way into a depressurization chamber after removing our gear. Watch your arm! <laughs> Derek. Get to the chopper now. <laughs> Derek said to me as I clumsily, you know, ran into a loose panel and grazed my skin a little. Sorry, said Bertram. I should have mentioned the loose panel. Loose panels, no bathrooms. What kind of predicament are you getting yourself into? James? Yeah, I, I know. I wasn't prepared for all this. I, I told him, I said, the, the, the facility is larger than I'd read. Uh, I was inquiring about the, the structure that I'd seen. Bertram said, yes, that document is out of date. The facility has expanded in several areas. We will lowly scientists are to remain at our humble quarters. So we add outdated documents for the new employees onto the list. No bathrooms, outdated documents, loose panels. I don't know. When, when do you start going, hmm? One USB cable. Poor. <laughs> Yeah, that and Derek and uh, Bertram, you know, were sitting there laughing about the whole thing, you know. And I was like, hey, I-, I thought this facility was run entirely by scientists. The job application said from the website of Geomar was a prestigious research institute in Germany, is, is was my understanding. You were you were rudely awakened when you found out it's not run by scientists. Yeah, I heard uh that funding was cut back and it started to like, you know, get a little shaky. Then they discovered something, didn't they? They discovered like ore deposits down the hole. But, right, yeah, Bertram had said something to me about the hole. Yeah, right. I was like, the hole? What? The hole. So we entered the habitat. I'd familiarized myself, by the way, from the manual that they had sent me. That outdated one. <laughs> well, true. Except for this part. There was a bunk. I knew there was going to be a bunkhouse, a mess hall, and a couple of other rooms. But for no bathroom for science and storage. Right. I, Where I was, the hell's I was the a little bathroom? worried about the bathroom. And then I, I heard from around the corner. Is this the and, new bloke, mate? Oh, yeah. Boy. And then, it walked a short guy. He had a smile on his face. He, 
but he had some instant charisma. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't let the crowd scare you, boy. Now I am Irish, I. <laughs> <laughs> A wee little crowd over there. <laughs> Get yourself some schnitzel, you crowd, and come on over here. Things are peachy down here, me boy. He shook my hand with a vigor that left my arm noodling. He was a middle-aged guy, a little older than the rest of them. His name was Doug. His name's New- Doug. He's from Newcastle. I am from Newcastle, my son, me lad, me boy. Uh, I just I nodded to him, huh? <laughs> this whole kraut thing, Bertram had said. I do not understand why you think this is so offensive to us. We think it's wonderful. It just means cabbage. Your People's World War II put-downs weren't very good. They were very not good. Vivo makes the put-downs up instead of you. Krauts, that is no put-down. We loves the slaw. We loves the cabbage. Kraut. Mm. I, I couldn't help but chuckle at their relationship when suddenly a loud explosion rang out. They all grabbed for something to brace themselves. Grab the Wiener Schnitzel. <laughs> Is everyone all right? Came a shrill, worried voice from deeper into the facility amidst the flickering buttons and endless readouts. A French woman cautiously came into the room hugging the wall. Despite the fear of the crash moments ago had instilled, she smiled politely at me. How could you tell she was French? Was she, like, carrying some French fries? French toast? Oh, you can tell a French could, woman. Yes. You can tell a French woman. They're always beautiful. Of course they are. They, they, the, for the, they are French. They can wake up, put on a pair of blue jeans, throw on a T-shirt, pull their hair back, and they, they look as glamorous as... Any woman going out on a, a special evening at the ball. So all they need is a glass of wine and a baguette. You can always <laughs> tell a beautiful, beautiful French woman. She said, um, welcome, Jamesy. It is good to see you. I said, hi. Parlez-vous français. Did you talk to her in uh, French? Like you, I, I know I, I you tried. Would. I tried. She was wearing a cap and you know, a bulky <laughs> crewman. <laughs> Did she had some that? bulky crewman overalls. I could tell she was really, really beautiful. It's nothing like a ball cap and a bulky crewman overall that gets my motor revving. <laughs> the bastards are really pushing our luck with these explosions, Doug had said. They're going to get us killed. And I was like, why are there explosions? Aye, boy, we didn't get the funding. We were forced to entice some other parties. A wee little party. They say they said it then, and I say it now, my lad. It was a short-sighted decision. What choice did we what, have? What choice did we have? Yeah, Bertram uh, interrupted him. The rest of our day was spent familiarizing me with the facility, and everything was just like it said in the manual, except for the ominous-looking door just after the depressurization chamber. That was new. Though the whole place looked like a futuristic spaceship, this door seemed to be even more so. It looked strong. At first, there was constant traffic in and out, but they completed the submarine docking station. A soul hasn't passed through that door in months. We occasionally speak with one of them on the radio. 
We have less and less contact as they need us less and less. It is a little strange, but it's better than being shut down, I say. Shut down. Vivo keeps this place running. Who exactly are they? I asked Bertram. At first, it was just underwater welders and construction workers who were working for the German mining company. All the usual stuff, as I say. But after several months, the miners left, and apparently ownership of the facility changed hands again. Though I have heard nothing about who. Geomar has been vague about it all. No doubt they are up to some type of exploitative act. Probably attempting to weaponize something beautiful, like the sea lab down here. That is why I get the feeling that we are no longer welcome in our own facility. They wouldn't want their secrets exposed by us pesky good-intentioned scientists as we are. Now, uh, eventually, <laughs> now eventually, Brando, I had to you know, go to the bathroom. I finally inquired as to how this was done, and they all started laughing. See, this bathroom thing would be a, a, a deal killer for me. Uh, like, no bathroom? Right. There is the bathroom. So what'd you do? Well, I started asking, and old old Doug says to me, it's, it's a pleasure going number two, mate. The fish can get quite frisky. <laughs> a, wee, a wee little number two. Oi. And uh, Madden started rolling her eyes and was, was smiling. She said, you know, the fish sometimes eat your waist. Don't let Douglas scare you. They are just fish. <laughs> it's not very sexy when a French girl's talking about fish eating poop. No, no, that take, <laughs> takes away from it a little bit. Even in those hot, bulky coveralls in that ball cap. There's a wee little dome several meters out from the moon pool, boy. Where you can hang out and do your business if you know what I mean. But you won't catch me going out there in the dark. Oi. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the fish are much more frightening in the dark. Actually, that is the weird part. There are no fish at night. Manon lashed the shirt she was holding at Bertram's arm punishingly, yet in a soft, motherly way. I am just saying, I don't go number two at night either. So there. I'm just saying it. Doug had said, if it's an emergency, I drop the log right in the moon pool. And you should too. Floaters be damned. That is disgusting, Manon said. Why do the fish only come at night is what I had asked. We aren't sure why. Derek thinks it has to do with their body chemistry. Their noradrenaline levels start to spike as the light stops shining through. They scatter in all directions, explained Manon. All except towards the hole. What is the hole, I asked. It is the 20 meter wide hole on the bottom of the ocean out of the moon pool to the east. It's so simple. It's actually hard to miss. We stay away from there, though. I made it a point to do my business during the daylight. and I was alarmed and amused by the amount of fish it attracted. I swam out to the dome and soon several fish began to investigate me. I looked around in the area and saw the massive hole to the east. I could see that the facility must have been built to study the hole. It was starting to get a little darker and I was ready to swim back to the moon pool when I noticed a small submersible 
Ascending out of the hole, the submersible propelled itself toward the large three-story complex attached to our habitat. A hatch opened, and the submersible ascended up into the hatch. My imagination ran wild as to what this mysterious other faction was up to behind that hatch. As weird as it all was, after several days I had fallen into a rhythm and everything became normal. I would gather samples and document the wildlife by day and study my findings as well as talk to my colleagues at night. And occasionally there would be an explosion and like clockwork, a submersible or two would ascend from the hole at sunset. Sunset, Brando, became a time of caution, I noticed. The fish would remain until it was dark, but almost in a flash, they all knew to disappear as the last sun rays left. It was part of a fascinating cycle. I had seen things like this in nature before, like when bats, you know, all fly out of a cave at the same time, or birds migrating for winter, but this was different. There was a desperation about it. For the fish, it was more of a desperate scramble. I quickly understood why Doug wouldn't go number two at the dome after dark. I found out that none of them did. Every day, I would walk by the mysterious door leading to the other facility, but the hallway beyond was always dark. I could never see that far. It was unnerving. On top of that, there were no portholes or windows of any kind to look in from the outside. You know what Only... I think? You know what I think, James? What? That's where the bathroom is. I think it's down that hallway. Everybody's afraid to go take a look at it. Only the officers have access. <laughs> exactly, because that's how I do it. There's no bathroom that's... here. There's no bathroom here. Definitely not the executive shitter. Exactly. <laughs> it's not that. It's a monster down there. One day I joked, uh, maybe one of us should try to swim up the hatch one time. The mood in the room became very tense. and It wasn't long before Manon burst into tears. I didn't understand. <laughs> I'm, not... <laughs> I'm sorry, I said. It's okay, mate. It isn't your fault, Doug said as he went to console Manon. I tried to look at Bertram, who usually explained things to me, and I was baffled, but his eyes remained fixed on his breakfast. And I looked at Derek. It is time, James. He knows about Javier. Nobody said a word. All that could be heard was Manon sobbing. <laughs> Who's Javier? Javier was a marine biologist you replaced, James E. And he also had the idea to swim up the hatch, just like you did, James E. So maybe that's not such a good idea, James E. Oh, I, we were informed that he was dead over a week later, the bastards. Well, that, we, that was Doug saying that. Yeah, that was Doug saying that. We were... We, me lad, we were informed he was dead over a week later, the bastards. I, we began searching desperately, me lad. But after a couple of hours, we knew when the air would have run out. So we started searching for his body, me boy. Apparently the whole time he was in a wee other facility. What? I asked. Mortified. I, 
Aye, aye, they said there had been an accident, and they weren't able to save him, boy. And they waited to tell you, I had asked Doug? Aye. And he nodded. I never looked at that hatch the same way. Had Javier been trapped in there and run out of air? Surely there must have been some way he could have entered the facility as it is how the submersibles went in and out. Over the coming days, things went back to normal, or at least as normal as living 60 meters underwater could be. I didn't dare broach the subject of Javier. I just kept my head down, did my work. There was plenty of plant life to catalog, not to mention all the different species of fish, jellyfish. Occasionally, a pod of sea mammals would pass through. As I was performing my nightly bathroom ritual before dark set in, one night I noticed the submersible ascending from the hole as always. Only this time, it seemed to be having trouble moving through the water. It almost seemed to be stuttering. And as I looked closer, I saw what looked like markings on the side of the vessel, as if it had been in some kind of an accident down there. I shuddered to think what would have happened if the craft had been damaged more. There I tread in the outhouse dome, pondering what I just saw. It made me feel uneasy, but nothing like what I felt after what I saw next. My gaze fell back in the giant sinkhole. There, at the very edge, I saw something that will horrify me for the rest of my life. I saw a head looking back. The rest of the body was hidden down the hole, just the head, as if it was peering at me. Even with the water clouding the distance between us, I felt his stare burn into my soul. Here, 60 meters below in the middle of the ocean was a face completely unencumbered by gear. No air tanks. What was he breathing? I must have been hallucinating, but the moment lasted for what seemed like a lifetime. And up till then, it was the longest moment of my life. His eyes locked on mine just his head. As it got darker, I came out of my confused trance. I made a mad dash for the moon pool. I didn't dare look back. I leapt out of the moon pool and into the decompression chamber. I was terrified. I stared at the moon pool through the window, half expecting the head to emerge from the water. How could a man have been in the hole? He would have had to have held his breath for at least five minutes I hadn't seen anyone else as I swam to the dome. Although, with training, a, a human being can hold their breath that long, something was just off. I had goosebumps all over my body. I had heard of pressurized air playing tricks on people's minds. Perhaps I, I had nitrogen narcosis, Brandon. It could have been hydrogen psychosis. Crazy eye. The crazy eye? You think I had crazy Get eye? Get him out of the water now. I quickly went in and told the others. Elevated levels of nitrogen affect all of us in different ways, Manon said as she examined me. She examined you? Take off your shirt, Jamesy. <laughs> Let me examine you completely. Let me see you a it little is, It is possible that you have hallucinated. Let me check your temperature. Uh, I, I, <laughs> mu I must have been hallucinating, I, I said. If anything like this ever happens again, come directly to my chamber and tell me right away, she said. I noticed 
Men's got to be having some kind of reputation here. She's the only gal 60 meters down. Everybody's got the crazy eye. Everybody, I've got crazy eye. I had crazy eye. It was bad news. I noticed Derek looking at me from across the habitat. He quickly looked away when I made eye contact. There was something about it that made me feel like he knew more. I decided to sleep it off, but I had wild dreams about what I saw. And I woke in a cold sweat. I felt even more exhausted than before. The crew, for the most part, hadn't noticed that I was a little off. Except for <laughs> Derek. Except for Derek. Old Derek, you must, you must be feeling a little, a little rattled. I was, uh, I was good friends with Javier. When he died, I sort of lost it a little bit. I couldn't sleep or eat. I even saw things, too. That's when Derek became very, very serious. This, listen, listen, listen. This place is very dangerous. More so than the others even understand. He brought me over to a laptop and opened up a folder with images. He then brought up a picture of the crew all happily posing. There they all were. Doug, Madden, Derek, and Bertram. Then my eyes came to rest on the fifth person. And when they did... Electricity ran through my body all at once as horror welled up from the depths of my soul and into my throat. There stood the very same face that had stared at me from the hole. And all at once, I knew that was what Derek had seen and what it meant. I could barely speak. I just muttered, that was the man I saw. We have to tell the others, and they are not going to believe it or like it. We headed into the common room where the others were gathered. Derek led bluntly in a dire tone. Listen, we both saw Javier alive in the water. Doug almost dropped what he was doing and turned around to look at us, then looked at Bertram, who was bewildered as him. Then they both broke into laughter. <laughs> Manon looked very upset. This is not funny, Derek. And Jamesy, I didn't think you were like this. Derek showed me a picture of Javier, and it was without a doubt the same face that looked at me, I said to her. I don't care about impressing you, Manon, my love interest 60 meters deep anymore. Something was horribly wrong. I thought it was my mind playing tricks on me, too, because Javier had just died. But I heard you can see people sometimes who have just died. That's what I've heard. So I didn't think much of it. But one thing is very clear to me. We need to leave. Okay. (laughs) I'll put in the call for the ship to come pick us up. It was empowering to be next to Derek while he said that. (laughs) I would have never had the courage to say these things. And there was a moment of silence. And then Doug said respectfully, Okay, my lad, alas. (laughs) I'll put in the call for the ship to come pick up whoever wants to leave. I guess. But this is my life's work. And I can't just leave because you think you saw a wee little ghost, you understand. I strongly urge you to reconsider, Doug. And we can't wait for the ship to get us. We need to take the Hofnung 
now. Suddenly, what Derek had said about the Hofnung wasn't sounding like a very good idea. The Hofnung had seen some better days. Bertram started to argue with Derek in German. Man, and Doug started jumping Gesundheit in. And I Achtung. had no idea what was going on. Argue. And at last, however, Derek won out with a loud exclamation that silenced the rest. He then turned to me. I know it seems like the Hofnung isn't seaworthy, but she is. She passed the required inspection. Get over it, Jamesy. Aye, that was five years ago, Derek. Really? There is a reason we don't use her anymore, boy. She's a floating platform. Just in case something happens down here. Really? What is another day to wait for the ship, boy? Derek said... If you had seen what we had seen, you would understand. I wasn't sure what to do. On the one hand, waiting another day for a proper ship to take us back seemed unreasonable, yet what if that thing in the water came into the moon pool tonight? What if it came into the decompression chamber? Very well. I'm going to make the call to be picked up. And Derek left and came back moments later. There's a storm coming. They can't make it here for two days. My stomach started to turn. That rusty old boat was starting to look more and more enticing. I was starting to feel better about everything. There were tests to be run. The flora to be cataloged. Manon even helped me, which put me at ease. I bet it did. When she rest her hand upon my lap as she started asking me questions. This is her M.O. This is how she, she does things. So, got a reputation. So, are you sure that it was Javier that you saw? She asked. Yes, I said. He must still be alive, but we watched each other for minutes. I don't know anyone who can hold their breath that long. Manon looked at me horrified. He was a good swimmer, she <laughs> said. But five minutes? I know, I said. After I finally started to feel normal again. I started to feel tired, even though it was just the afternoon. Something about the pressure or being cooped up. That was why I went to sleep early that night. Going to sleep early turned out to be a giant mistake. I woke up in in the late evening around 10. I had to poop something fierce. I instinctively, instinctively went over it. When you gotta go, you gotta go. It's like my grandpa always said. I instinctively went over to the decompression chamber. And when I entered the moon pool for the first time, I saw pitch black water. I stood there watching it ripple. Beyond was just the murky black depths. I remember Doug admitting he wouldn't go to the bathroom at night. And now I understand. I walked up to the edge and I looked down. There was absolutely no way I was going to swim out to the outhouse dome. With little options left, I pulled down my trousers and I attempted to squat right over the moon pool. Still squatting there, I couldn't help but look back every couple of seconds to make sure something wasn't coming up to grab me. It felt silly, but it was very vulnerable position to be in. And after trying for a couple of minutes, I stood back up. 
It's amazing what kind of things the body will do when it knows it's not safe. I suddenly felt no urge to go to the bathroom at all. I slowly backed away from the edge of the moon pool, keeping my eyes on its dark, rippling depths. I thought I saw something move. I felt a deep fear. I had to get out of there. I went for the decompression chamber, and to my horror, I saw out of my peripheral a mass cresting out of the water. I threw myself into the chamber, and as fast as I could, I tried to throw the door closed. This monster, or whatever is down there, James, is pissed off everybody's shitting in his house. You know, and also... I kind of I kind of understand it. <laughs> my house is not a toilet for you people. But I, uh, that water's cold. You gotta, you gotta get in the, get close to that water or you get in it. What the, what gives? I, that's why I was squatting. But it, what is there, just a bunch of I was doing crap the, I was, floating around in the moon pool I was pool doing there? the hover, I had to hover. That's, that would be <sighs> disgusting. And that's where the people go in and out of the water there in that moon pool. If everybody's just using it as a toilet. I don't get it, but... But go it on. Was it, it was in the manual. It's in the manual. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brando, there was a monstrous, dark, grayish, green tentacle that moved with startling speed. And just as I was shutting the door, wrapped around my leg, sinking several spines into me. I cried with pain as the creature began to drag me out of the chamber. And I slammed the door on the tentacle. But it was thick and strong and continued to drag me. A second tentacle, just like the first, was starting to crest out of the moon pool. And then I looked up. It was the same sheet metal panel that had grazed me when I first walked in. It ripped off the wall with surprising ease. With all my might for my life, I cleaved to the tentacle. It didn't sever, but it cut deeply and it released me. Before the second tentacle could even reach the chamber, I slammed the door with all my might. I looked at the tentacles prodding and probing the sealed door. It was terribly, absolutely horrifying. I knew they had every intent on dragging me down the shithole into the depths. <laughs> Did you crap your pants yet? <laughs> I crapped myself. They were terrifying. It was like a giant octopus with spiny thorns attached to a hook onto its prey. And after what seemed like hours, the decompression finished. I had already been screaming and the others had gathered at the door. And I exited the chamber and turned to the others. We have got to get the hell out of here, I screamed. Now! Calm down, Manon had said. What happened, she asked. There is some kind of... I stopped. I didn't know what to say. I know this sounds crazy, but a massive predatory invertebrate <laughs> grabbed me in the moon pool. It was a predatory invertebrate, you say? <laughs> like a Pacific octopus, my lad. They were not understanding the gravity of the situation. The tentacles weren't visible from this angle, and I dared not open the door to show them. Instead, I showed them my leg. It was bleeding, though not profusely. Not bleeding the enough for their liking. 
The puncture wounds were still clearly visible. The others began to inspect my leg. Derek went into another room and came back with a couple of knives. They were the only weapons we had available. Here is some knives. These are the only weapons we have. At first light, all of us should make a break for the Hoffnung. But what about the storm, Derek? I would rather take my chances with the storms than be down here. At least I would die a natural death. (laughs) I don't think the others understood, but I knew exactly what he meant. The idea of drowning in the open water somehow seemed like a tolerable alternative. It suddenly made sense. The explosions, the beaten up submersible, this animal was being studied by the other facility. One thing is certain, the creature only seems to be around at night, and we seem to be safe in here. I am swimming for the Hafnung in the morning. I strongly urge the rest of you to come. I nodded. The others looked among themselves, not knowing what to think. We all went to our bunks and tried to sleep, and after hours of tossing and turning and staring at the entrance, half expecting a dark gray tentacle to slither around the corner, my wound felt better. Manon had bandaged it and applied a disinfectant. I slowly started to nod off, and when I awoke, I started my daily routine. I even got ready to go out and swim to the bathroom when I stopped dead in my tracks. I felt a deep sense of horror, as if I was just remembering what had happened to me in the moon pool just hours before. I suddenly felt no urge to go to the bathroom at all. I just stood there, gazing at the pressure chamber. All of the others had risen and were mulling about. Have either of you seen Doug? Manon had said. I am waiting for his data, but I haven't seen him. Maybe he hasn't woken up, I had said. He isn't in his bunk, Manon said. I am starting to get worried. He probably just went out for some samples. You're probably right, Manon said, as she started busying herself with her work. I finally worked up the courage to go out to the bathroom dome. The water was moving faster than usual, but nothing I couldn't swim against. I could see how being a poor swimmer would be very hazardous and understand now why they insisted on a strong swimmer in the job application. Out at the dome, I looked around and realized that there wasn't a fish in sight. Usually, during this time of day, the ocean was full of them, but now it was barren and unnerving. I looked around at the eerie depths, trying to make out what I could through the misty sea water. I noticed something strange. The hatch to the other part of the facility was open. The same hatch that Javier had swam up. Upon thinking about Javier, my eyes darted back to the place where I had seen his eyes, staring at me from the hole. I shuddered and suddenly started to feel very vulnerable. I got done with my business and started back towards the moon pool. When I entered the habitat, I saw that Manon was coming my way with Bertram and Derek. There you are, she said. We are going to look for Doug. He should have been back by now. The hatch is open, I had said. They all looked at one another. We will have to think about that later. Everyone suit up and make sure you're full of oxygen. (laughs) I am full of oxygen. 
you better be full of oxygen. This was a research lab. <laughs> exactly. They were they were doing top secret experiments that you're not ready to know about. Where you had to be full of oxygen, or else. The water was still moving fast due to the stormy conditions. It was difficult to fight against the current, but Doug should have come back by now. And there was a chance he was stuck and running low on air. We had to look for him. We checked down the slope of the opposite direction of the hole, but there was no sign of Doug. We finally came to the hole. We shined our lights down into the depths. Nothing but darkness. And after a while, our oxygen levels were getting low and we returned to the habitat. On our way back, we all saw the opened hatch. No doubt we were all thinking the same thing. Doug might have gone up the hatch for some reason. And when we shed our gear in the moon pool, Derek was the first to mention this. We need to get in touch with the other part of the habitat. I will try to radio them again. As I walked past the door that connected the two habitats, I peered down its corridor. Surely we could just override the locks and walk in there. It seemed like the right thing to do given the circumstances. I shined my light down the corridor, through the glass. It was strange. Something at the very end of the corridor seemed to be floating. I squinted tried to discern what it was that I was looking at. Hey, guys, I said. I think there's something down here. I think there's something moving in here. We all gathered at the glass of the door and peered into the darkness. There was something that seemed to be hovering. It was drifting closer. I knew what it was before my mind could register what I was seeing. It was a strange feeling. On the one hand, there was a pen. But on the other, it was drifting right in the middle of the air. The pen was floating because the chamber had filled with water. It won't break through. This door is designed to withstand the pressures far beyond this. It was always a possibility that one of the habitats would be compromised. Derek's words did little to reassure me. I kept staring at that pen as it seemed to drift aimlessly. It ricocheted off one of the walls, gently. What happened to all the people? There was nothing but silence for a moment. And then Manon spoke. We have to go in there, she said. That must be where Doug is. Maybe he's trapped. Derek and Bertram exchanged glances and started speaking in German. Gesundheit. Manon interrupted them, and they all started yelling at each other. I stood there puzzled until finally they switched back to English. I can't believe you two, said Manon. Doug would have done it for you to save you. Doug is dead. Or worse. What do you mean? Or worse? He has been out of air for a while now, and we all know it. Bertram and I are going for the Hoffnung. We aren't waiting for the ship. Bertram stood there looking as guilty as he was terrified. Finally, they were starting to understand. We had to get the hell out of there. I opened my mouth to agree adamantly, but Manon spoke first. I am going over there. She said defiantly. She looked at me and waited for me to speak. Okay, I said. I will go with you to look for Doug. Dude, the guys always get this pressured and and then they end up dying. It's they, the way she touched my leg. It, well, that that was part of the whole plan. That's Javier. It was the same thing. They forgot to tell you about old 
Herkimer, who was there before Javier. <laughs> this is crazy. I don't want to be on that sinking ship in a storm any minute longer than I have to. We can't wait for you. One hour, Manon said. That is all we need. We will De- wait for one hour. Then we will head for the surface together. Suiting up went fast. We did our final checks and dove back into the moon pool. The hatch seemed to beckon me. I thought of Javier and how I had seen his head staring at me. Even now, it gave me chills, but I put it in the back of my mind. Soon, we could almost see the shaft. I thought of how much had happened in my life since I had taken this job, how much I had learned and seen. It was hard to remember what my life used to be like. It seemed like so long ago that I had been sleeping in a nice bed and eating all the food I wanted. Mostly, I thought of how much I had taken for granted. You don't realize how important it is to feel safe until you don't. We reached the entrance of the shaft. It became dark fast. Manon turned on her light and my heart sank. At the end of the shaft was a metal door, but it looked as though it had been warped. What could have done this? Luckily, our divers' masks had radio communications built in. What could have done this, she said. Manon. She looked over me. She knew that I was thinking already. No creature ever discovered like the one you hallucinated, Jay-Z. I went to retort but stopped. There was no point in arguing. I wanted to live, not to be right. Let's hope not, I said. It took everything I had, but I managed to start kicking and swam up into the shaft. Manon soon followed after me. We traced the dark room with our lights. It seemed to have been some kind of submersible docking room. What once was a moon pool had been overtaken by water. All manner of clutter floated about. It was unnerving to be there in the darkness, 60 meters beneath the surface of the water, in a breached habitat that had gone silent. I swatted a tablet away from my head as we continued onward. The decompression chamber was inside. Both of the large doors stood unsealed. I knew what had happened. That creature had tried to grab me. That that giant octopus creature had gotten through the decompression chamber. I couldn't stop thinking about those tentacles that had grabbed me. They looked like they were as thick as a tree trunk as they disappeared into the black water. I will never forget that. As we swam into the next room, it was large and quite long. It was full of all types of computers and lab equipment. But in the center of a room, to my horror, there it was. That same dark gray tentacle. It must have been 50 feet long. I instinctively swam away. This was Horror Movie 101. I had done everything I could do to convince Manon that my story was true. If she didn't believe me now, it was on her. To my great relief, I saw her swimming fast behind me. She now understood that our lives were in imminent danger. As we rounded the corner in the room with the hatch, we saw Doug. It seemed like a miracle. There he was, floating there in his diving gear. We made it up towards the the moon pool and started to get out of our gear. That's what I caught out of the corner of my eye. Doug's oxygen meter had been empty. Still, 
I didn't think much about it as we made our way to the decompression chamber. I wish I had. Doug, I have to say it's good to see your stupid face, said Manon. Why didn't you respond to my radio? Doug gave a slight smile. (laughs) We looked everywhere for you, I said. He looked at me. He looked like he had some kind of debris in his eye. Still, he said nothing. He just stared at me. That is when I realized that Bertram, Derek, were nowhere to be found. Derek! Bertram! I cried out. You don't think they would have left without us, do you? We are at the bear gardens now. Suddenly, I heard a loud crash, a distance from the habitat. As loud as the explosions, but it was different. I could tell man and thought the same thing as we looked out at each other in horror. Putting it out of our mind, Manon and I desperately scrambled around the habitat. When we returned, we noticed Doug was standing by the decompression chamber. He seemed to be examining it. Are you okay, Doug? I asked. He turned to me and gave me the same hollow stare. I had seen that stare before, somewhere. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. He soon returned to the decompression interface. He just stared at it. Any ideas where Derek and Bertram are, Doug? I asked. To make more conversation than anything else, we stood there in silence for a moment. I dared not walk away. Manon had made her way over to us, searching for Derek. By the look on my face, she could tell that there was something wrong. Doug? she asked. After a moment of silence, Doug's hand rose and pressed one of the buttons. He pressed another button. He was starting to figure it out. I tried to block the panel, but he swatted me away with a speed that was uncharacteristic of Doug. He was trying to open the decompression chamber. I tried to push him away from the panel, but he headbutted me hard. I fell to the ground. I felt woozy. I tried to stand up, but fell over again. Manon! I cried out, don't let him open the chamber. Manon stood there, horrified, as I finally got to my feet, but it was too late. Doug managed to open the decompression chamber. Still, there was a fail-safe mechanism. Both doors couldn't be opened at once unless overridden in an emergency. I had read about it in the manual before I came aboard. There was a way, but if it was under water at depth, the moon pool's integrity would fail and the water would rush into the habitat. Doug stood there once more thinking, thinking with that horrifying hollow stare. My head was still spinning, but I managed to grab a hold of his arm. We both went fumbling over. I managed to dodge some swings at my head and scrambled backwards. Doug refocused his attention back on the panel. Suddenly, a loud alarm sounded. It was over. The moon pool integrity had been compromised. Water immediately began to rush in. Manon and I looked at each other in horror. She rushed over to a cabinet. The water was already up to our knees and rising fast. Doug simply stared at us, void of emotion. The water poured forth, and in seconds, I had taken a deep breath from the air at the top. I tried to think of something, anything, but before I could, Manon grabbed my hand. She had found the life raft. We swam for it. 
We both started toward the moon pool, when all of a sudden, I felt a strong hand grip on my leg. It was Doug. I thrashed and I kicked, but to no avail. I tried to fight Doug off with all I had left, but he was too strong. I was running out of oxygen. The edges of my eyes were starting to turn black. My lungs were crying out. This was it. Suddenly, Manon drove a fixed blade deep into Doug's stomach. Oi. Uh, he momentarily <laughs> let go. We scrambled out of the moon pool with Doug right behind us. To my horror, I saw Doug swimming down after us, blood pouring out. Manon screamed and pointed towards the hole. There was Javier, Bertram, and Derek swimming for us, all with that hollow, lifeless look in their eyes. All we had to do was clear the building above us, and we could pull the ripcord. We were so close. That's when I saw the Hoffnum. It was the ship that was supposed to be above us. But there it was. I could barely make it out, though, the, the murky water. It was hard to miss something so big. The storm, or maybe the others, had sunk it? That was what the crashing sound had been. We cleared the structure, and just as the creatures were closing in on us, Manon ripped the cord. Holding on, we started to ascend fast. I watched as we left the horrible place behind. It disappeared into the misty ocean underneath my feet. We hung there, blind and helpless, all the while thinking to ourselves, what if the others swam up after us? How long would it take them to reach us? My joints were hurting, and I knew why. Decompression sickness was setting in. Still, we were alive. The more I strained to look, the more I started to make out several shadows. They were getting closer. I could start to make out the human bodies now. They were no more than several meters away, swimming for us. My joints were in agony, and I felt so tired. I needed to sleep. But still, the sight of the surface was so close, its glimmering majesty just a little farther. We broke the surface, gasping for air. The life raft was so close, we scrambled into it. And as I felt that fear of having my last leg grab, but it wasn't. We had made it. We quickly looked over the side. A chill ran down my spine as I saw, right beneath the surface, the faces of Javier, Derek, Doug, and Bertram. Hello, sir, James. <laughs> we are just down here. All of their eyes fixed on us. There they remained, as if unable to break the surface. Doug was still bleeding profusely from his stomach as a cloud of red was gathering. We collapsed in the bed of the life raft, exhausted. We had made it. We could feel their hands scratching at us through the raft. It was unnerving, but the raft seemed to be holding. The sun was setting, and the sky was a beautiful color. The last light has gone away. The others were still scratching at the bottom of the raft. The sun is no longer holding at bay. That creature will surely come for us tonight. <laughs> Happy Halloween, listeners of the Great Dive Podcast. Whoa, 
That was such a scary, scary story, James. What was the story? That was a tale from when I was an oceanographer I mean, back in the Baltic. I mean, that was such a scary, scary memory for you to be carrying around with you, Jamesy. But I hope you all enjoyed Halloween this year, everybody. Brando, would you like to uh, sign a logbook on this little story about the creature from the Baltic? Uh, yes. We will sign the logbooks, if you will. Brando, now that James isn't looking, that is a nice bend you have, too. Ah, this is not what I was expecting, though. All right, everybody, thanks for uh, joining us this Halloween. We'll talk to you next week. Damn, Skippy, we will be doing the talking next week. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. What?